Hello and welcome to another episode of Change It with Eloise. I hope you're well. I am super excited to bring you today's guest. She's someone that is my ultimate career crush. Academic, positive, innovative. She's a role model who is humbly enabling good social change. She's inspiring others through her calm dedication and belief that we can all be helping one another more. Partner at KPMG and founder of the Social Good Summit, it's a wonder she had time for this interview. Katia Devim is known to many in the change field. She's a wealth of knowledge and she's so humble, so experienced and yet so pragmatic. What she proffers and the advice she gives is so applicable and easily implemented by us all. We talk about why change is booming. We talk about one skill that will trump all. We talk about what she's seeing across the change market. And we talk about her diagnosis of the five different types of change. How to use them to make sure the change sticks. She's just so authentic. So easy to listen to. So calming. So influential. And yet so accomplished. She's got enthusiasm and belief that we as humans can do more to be helping one another and that above all we can play a role in bringing about good social change. I really hope you enjoy this episode. She's a joy. This is Katia Devim. Hi Katia and welcome to episode 11 of Change It. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me this morning. Pleasure. I have provided the listeners with a bit of an overview, but for those listening, please, can you provide some context of who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, my, my professional title is a partner within KPNG. I lead the, the people in change practice uh, in, in New South Wales, and I devote my life to uh, large, complex transformation projects, mainly in the government sector. So that's my official title. I have many passions, and uh, one of those is to make the world a better place. So I'm also the founder of the Social Good Summit, uh, which is uh, an organization that brings together like-minded people to uh, think about how to solve the most complex problems of, of our time. As someone with the view of the market that you get, that kind of helicopter view, but then to deep dive into organizations, can you talk us through some of the things that you're currently seeing in terms of trends, failing, things in change? Mm, absolutely. So, Eloise, um, I guess the, the, the trends that we, have, that we are seeing in the market and, and, um, and really my observation about the world is that change management is a topic that is in high demand. And the reason for that is because people are trying to realize that many of the investments that they put in large technology transformation or restructure of business and so on, they need to be well thought through and, and, and uh, kind of the, the expertise around change management is a critical element to, to make those things successful. Now, what's interesting is that as we progress in, in, into a more complex world uh, with bigger challenges out there, the complexity of change within organizations also increase. So 
you are not only uh, you know seeing the the acceleration of change programs, but actually the complexity of those programs are becoming exponential. So it, it's uh, when you talk about within the context of organizations that you know change is a, is a constant. If it is true for a number of years now, is actually really real because uh, because the market demands uh, the acceleration of technology, uh, the demand of customers put organizations in a situation that they cannot actually relax and, and, and just sit on their laurels. They absolutely need to constantly innovate uh, and transform themselves to be relevant. So the, the complexity of change is, is increasing tremendously. So those are the things that I've been observing. So is a hot market, is in demand, but the skills of a change manager, they need to, change manager these days needs to be far more comfortable with the concept of ambiguity and and really to connect with many areas and disciplines to, to, to be successful in what they are doing. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's certainly something I see on a lot of briefs and it's highly talked about. It's almost becoming a bit of a buzzword that the next A word is ambiguity and people's ability and threshold to deal with ambiguity. How, how would you recommend someone increases their tolerance for that though? Because it is uncomfortable. Ambiguous situations make most of us feel a bit icky because we don't know the solution, we can fail. Look, I think it's it's about realizing that you are, you know, more more and more, you are not going to be successful if you are kind of an island, really, and if you act by yourself. So is a is an ability to connect with uh, multiple disciplines and look into a complex problem through multiple lens that are going to make you successful. And and the role of change managers are, from my point of view, absolutely critical. Uh, you know, to work hand in hand with program directors and project managers to really see the world from different perspectives, but to collaborate. And sometimes the behaviors are not the most optimal because the role of a program manager is to really look into a, a, a you know, a program of work, uh, think about the outcomes, establish a timeline with deliverables and with milestones and, and, and get to an outcome. But the role of the change manager is to look from a business point of view, from a stakeholder's point of view and how they are going to be impacted. So those, those two worlds need to be absolutely hand in hand to make the transformation or the change successful. So just an example by which you cannot operate in isolation at all. You need to be uh, in, in contact with many parts of the business and many disciplines to actually be highly successful. So it's bringing about these dimensions. Uh, one of the things that I advise to young people, so which profession shall I stay, shall I follow or, uh, you know, what, which areas shall I uh, investigate? My take about that and also thinking about the concept of the future of work and how complex it's becoming uh, in terms of technology acceleration and, and our ability to become uh, relevant in the market. My advice is always follow your dreams, follow your passions, but be curious about many, many other things. Because if you are very, very specialized in one area, but you have no uh, oversight of many other advancements in many other areas, you are not going to be innovative at all. And I think that innovation comes from the intersection of diff completely different disciplines, if you want. What's the intersection of dance with math and chemistry, for instance? You know, when we pull all this together, what is the outcome? And, and this is where innovation comes from and breakthroughs to solve precisely the most complex problems that we have these days in the world and in the society and, and in organizations. Yeah, that's such good advice and such a good call out. It's not to be generic nor specialist but it is to be curious ask questions and not to because you put yourself at risk by being an island yeah I would say that the number one skill for the future is curiosity and ability to learn new things isn't it funny though because my mum always told me that curiosity killed the cat but... <laughs> <laughs> um and 
and so on that vein, when you're talking about people that are doing potentially change well on the flip side, who out there have you seen that is doing change particularly well and what are they doing? Well, um, I think that de- depends on what you are trying to achieve. And, and, and change is a very, con- a very generic concept. This is, this is you know, some, somehow the, the, the body of work that, that I've been investigating in the last, in the last uh, you know, couple of years, not even a few years, couple of years, which is there is no one model for change that is successful. So you need to understand the situation, the context. And, and, and really what you are trying to achieve. What, what we are talking about, are we talking about a restructure of an organization? Are we talking about technology implementation? Are we talking about a finance or HR or any function transformation? Are we talking about a merger of two organizations? Are we looking into conduct a cultural transformation? Now, all these things are very different things. They, they will achieve very different outcomes. And therefore, they, they require very different approaches to change. So when you say who is doing quite well, I think that the, the primary factor is people that is doing well change is somebody that, comp- or the architect and the team that is conducting the transformation, they can understand where they, what they are dealing with and they, they design their approach according to those dimensions. So that's kind of the, uh, the primary factor. And then second factor is, when you understand what is the right approach, you also match the right skills because it's really important that the skills that you need to bring for a, to a, an IT transformation is very different from the skills that we bring to a cultural transformation. We, we, tend, we tend to believe that doesn't matter, we are all change managers, we understand about people, we can even have a people in, in psychology background, so we will be fine, but it's not because the, the type of skills is completely different to, to drive a successful uh, implementation of, of whatever you are trying to achieve. So I would say that the, the primary factor is people that understand what's the approach and then they match the right skills to achieve the, the right outcomes. And, and one of the things that you have spoken to me about is calling out those different types of change. So it, there's definitely a, a need for organizations to do that. And can you talk about what the the different types of change are that you've diagnosed? Yeah, let me give you some, some kind of practical examples, right? So the, 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 the five approaches to change that, that I define, they, they, they fall into kind of a spectrum, in the spectrum of complexity. So you have highly simple type of change. And what I'm talking about is, well, imagine that you want to uh, do, a say, an upgrade of your Windows system. That's probably the most simple form of, of change. So indeed, you have a technology already in place, but you want to do an upgrade. Usually, it's stakeholders that want to, they don't want to be bothered with focus groups or conversations or engagement about that. What they need to know is, when is it going to happen? What do I need to do? Do I need to free up my space in my laptop to, to cope with the new system? Uh, can you please tell me if I'm going to uh, you know, be off work for a few hours or a days or when this transition is going to happen? So... That's a very simple model. And, and in this type of situation, what you need to bring is a very sharp communications team. So it's very particular, very specific. Tell me exactly what I need to do. That's a very simple, simple technology implementation. If you go to a more complex technology implementation, say you have many stakeholders across the organization and you want to do, say, a work day. That's quite topical these days. Or a finance uh, implementation of Oracle or cloud solutions. So those are a little, they are more complex technology implementations for the sake of argument. Now here the approach is a little bit different because what we need to do is to absolutely have a good degree of engagement over 
the multiple parts of the business, especially if this implementation is going to affect everybody across the organization or a big portion of the organization. Well, if that's the case, I need to understand how do you do things? What's the process? What are the, um, you know, the outcomes that you need to achieve? So we need to go more in depth into the process itself, the business process, so we can adapt and design a technology that will fit, um, you know, the need of the organization. Now, in this situation, the, the right approach will be high engagement up front with a, with a selection or a, re, a good representation of the organization. Uh, you know, usually we, we call this, uh, you know, the design labs, for instance, where we bring people along for multiple parts. Uh, you know, I work a lot in, in the health systems, which are very complex by nature, but you bring all this representation from multiple parts of, of the organization or the organization sometimes, uh, and you design a best spoke technology or uh, you design a technology that will fit. These days, we don't want to design best, totally best spoke. Why? Because technologies these days are based on cloud. So if you are going to be very best spoke, you lose the ability to upgrade with better technology as things uh, move along. So, but that, that engagement up front is really critical. Why? Because the, the, the team will need to require, to, to gather all these requirements before they go into the construct phase. Now, what is the problem that I see again and again and again. Sometimes teams, they, they don't want to engage upfront. Why? Because they don't know exactly what's, what's going to be the solution. So they avoid this engagement upfront and they, they tend to engage later in the piece, which is the biggest mistake that we can have in a technology implementation. Why? Because by that stage, it's really late. When the team is constructing the technology, this is a time where you are not going to consult anymore. The design needs to be locked so the project can be quite efficient. So you cannot constantly redesign a solution because now the stakeholders are working for the fact that there is something happening. So the approach is high engagement upfront, lock the design, and, and then of course train people and do all the good stuff to uh, before we go into implementation. So it's a very different approach from the, the, the very simple one. That's the second approach. The third approach follows a, a volume of uh, major complexity. Usually, uh, you know, the kind of the merger acquisitions field falls into this area when two organizations come together uh, and you need to co-design processes. Now, that's it, a quite interesting area because usually in this type of process, the, the deals, uh, the conversation around deals happen in a very secretive way. So there is no engagement whatsoever. It's a very small group of people uh, that, that engage into the, the, the conversation around buying an organization or doing a merger. But then later, when, when the, the first, the deal is established, then you want to engage broadly to really conduct a, a good integration of the organization. So that's kind of a, a very different approach from the one that I described before. And then as you move into more complex situations, then you have the approach for, say, you know, for instance, if you want to drive a deep cultural transformation, what is type of, uh, you know, the approach again uh, is, is of very different nature. It's far more bottom-up, it's far more, uh, you know, co-design uh, by teams, located integration of how, what are the behaviors that you need to unlock around the organization to, to achieve the overall uh, ambition for, for, for cultural transformation. And then finally, we have a very highly, what I call almost like the chaotic type of change, which is uh, when change and transformation innovation come from within the organization, it's not even top, top down, is when you create a space and a place in organization, it's so chaotic in terms of uh, the way we draft transformation and change, which is 
is about enabling the organization to con- constantly be elements of innovation. So create the, the right structures across the organization so they can uh, propose new innovation, they can experiment with innovation and so on. So again, the, the, the approach is, is far loose and far le- uh, less controlling, if you want, of the outcome of the change. And you have no idea what's, what's kind of the outcome. So the movement of these five approaches uh, is, is basically a, you know, an attempt to explain that not change is equal, the level of complexity could be uh, enormous or could be quite small, which is fine. But the degree of capability and skills that you require for each area and approach is completely different. And, and that's kind of the critical point. The composition of teams, the, 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 the skills that you bring on board, the tools uh, and the mechanics are, are, are enormously different. That's fascinating. And I think from a hiring perspective, from a, say, if you were to look at one of the machines that prescribe or diagnose the same team for each different type of change, it's really insightful to kind of look at that. When you're talking about the fifth one, that's almost the kind of nirvana that companies are talking about at the moment, where you've created this safe space that companies can innovate. But I presume by calling it out as one of your five, you are saying that that's not possible for all different types of for merger and acquisition. You're not going to be able to create that. The company wouldn't be able to do that themselves. It's certain innovation that that can happen. Correct. And I think that is important that organizations understand what, what you are trying to achieve at the moment. Because you, you cannot be everything to everybody or, or actually have all these well, you can have all these approaches happening within a portfolio, and this is becoming more a reality. So you have a portfolio of transformation happening across the organization. Some areas, they will be quite prescriptive and, and is about, you know, technology, about function, function type of transformation. So, you know, it will be kind of a type two. Uh, in other areas, is about we want to actually unlock innovation. So uh, let's create the right structure. So within the portfolio, you may have all the five approaches. Uh, it happening in in, uh, in in parallel, right? Almost like parallel universe. But the whole organization cannot be in multiple stages. So if you are if you are going through a merger and acquisition, and if that's important for your organization, is if it's a substantial part of your of your organization. Of course, that if it's a large organization that did a small acquisition, well, that's that's a different story, right? You can almost manage that in, a, in almost like in isolation. But if it's a if it's a two giant organizations coming together, that should be the most the, the point of focus for that organization at, at that point that moment in time. So they cannot be, you know, highly innovative at, at the time. So the energy should be about integrating those two organizations, cultures, uh, processes ways of working and all the good things that you need to integrate and then later you can then enter into a space of innovation if that makes sense so you cannot have all these multiple things at at the organizational level happening at the same time and so therefore when companies talk about creating or uplifting change capability that almost fits within that fifth for for the innovation perspective and for um, people's ability to absorb but it could across the five people's ability to absorb the different types of change is that something that you know would help organizations across the board with any type of change there is something interesting about about the the role of change management and it has a practice and 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 people like you will is at work quite a lot in this hiring space i kind of can appreciate this quite well if you go to the discipline of program management for instance which is is been going on for a while 
you, you can see a lot of roles within the program management space, right? So you have, you know, program director and a project director. And everybody knows what's the difference between a program director and a project director. It's very clear the level of expertise, the level of uh, experience, salary that are going to get and so on. And then within the program management, you have your scheduler and you have your business analyst and you have all these type of roles. But when you go to the, 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 the discipline of change management, sounds like that we are all change managers, that you all have the same roles and you all have the same capability. So when we are talking about building change management capability, we need to understand that there are many roles within the practice of change management to start with. And building capability in organizations around those spaces is what are the, what are the gaps that you have? Do you need the, what I call a transformation architecture? And a transformation architecture, which is probably more what I do, uh, is to sync the overall transformation of the organization, usually is quite complex, and reflect on the right approach and then bring the right ingredients to that transformation process. I'm not, I'm, I don't have all the capability, but uh, you know, it's a, it's the ability to bring the right capability. Certainly we need to have a great program management. Certainly we need to have possibly a great, uh, you know, team of business analysts. We need to probably have a, a great team of communication specialists, stakeholder engagement uh, specialists, public relations. So whatever is the ingredients of your transformation, and it's very important that we think about this really relevant uh, um, uh, and important, you know, achievement of successful change is, is really understand the multiple ingredients and roles that you need to bring within. It's because it is a newer profession, I think. And you're absolutely right. It's music to my ears hearing you say that because you're right. People actually, it's almost remiss to go, oh, well, anyone can do change. And that's also a problem that's frequently seen. Not at all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> The other thing, when you're talking about the five different types of change that, that I was keen to know from you is, as someone listening to this, Katia, that is thinking about their portfolio, and they may have something that fits across all five, how long do they take? How long would this take? And, you know, when do you do this in terms of the recruitment, this kind of prescribing, right, that is a technology change, a complex one, that's a light touch and so, so, you know, in my career, I have developed, you know, diagnostics and, and uh, you know, tools that help people to figure out those things. And they, they should be, you know, in our practice, we, we, we have five stages that, that they are common, no matter which approach you follow. You know, you make it clear, make it clear, um, make it uh, known your, your change, make it real, make it happen, make it stick. So they, those are the five, five stages, if you want, of, of a change management program. And, and that diagnostic needs to happen when you are trying to make it clear. And the make it clear is a phase where you are very clear with your stakeholders, what are we trying to achieve with this? It's usually when you engage your executives and say, you know, what, what is the change about, right? But if it's, you know, if it's, usually it's when you engage your, your, your stakeholders around what success looks like and, and what you are trying to achieve and, and really, uh, you know, what are the, is your case for change? Typically, we call it that, right? So, so in, in that very beginning stage is when you resource your team and you, you, you do that diagnostic to understand what will be the right approach, what are the right skills that you bring on, on board, and, and when that language starts becoming really familiar, people understand the critical aspects of, of a transformation. Just going back to, to the large uh, transformations, uh, large IT implementations, again, the biggest mistake is when you don't lock your design and you allow your stakeholders to keep designing and designing and designing along the way. That is the most annoying thing to all your technology teams 
And this is one of the, the reasons why budgets and time frames they tend to derail because there is no respect for, for that period. So it's very important that we define that approach up front and we communicate and we are very clear with all our stakeholders how this is going to happen you know, to achieve the success. Thank you. And for people that are sitting in a head of change capacity, thinking of people that I, I've been working with um, for some time that are recruiting across these portfolios and potentially have diagnosed the different types of change. In, in terms of the interviews that you would run when you've got a burning platform in IT change, would you recommend asking a different set of questions to the person in front of you to say a cultural change and you should adapt your approach accordingly to ascertain that they have the right skills there? Uh, absolutely. Skills, experience, positioning, even personalities and types. What, one of the things that strikes me about people that classify themselves as change managers is that they come from very different backgrounds. You have the HR practitioner that becomes a change manager. You have the IT developer that realized that to, to design the best tool in the world will do nothing if you don't have a good engagement of your business. Uh, you have the project manager uh, that wants to uh, expand their skills. You have the psychologists that, so, you know, th there is so many people that land in this area here called change management. And so, so absolutely. So when we define the approach, it's really important that you also match that with the right skills mm -hmm. and, and experiences and so on, because th that, that absolutely defines the success of the overall project. And one of the questions which you've almost answered with your curiosity being key is for a change practitioner that's listening to this, Katia, that potentially currently knows that they're very good and they've done quite a few cultural change programs, but thinks, I want to diversify, I don't want to be pigeonholed. Do you recommend diversifying and trying out different things with that curiosity being key? Or do you recommend honing in and owning one of these different types i i highly recommend the you know the, the curiosity bit the, the curiosity bit is will become a question of survival right so actually if you if you read the book uh the humankinds uh which is a very interesting book that that came out about last year one of the reasons why we survive as human beings is and why one of the reasons why our species is so successful is, is our ability to communicate with each other and and really share ideas like we are doing now uh, you know, I, I give you some some of my thinking and you listen and you assimilate that. And so that's the reason why, not because we are stronger than, than a lion or, 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 or taller than a giraffe, because we are not. But this ability to share ideas, to to make things, to, to build your knowledge based on language and based on, on sharing of information and, and, uh, and thoughts and ideas. So this concept of curiosity is not just a, a you know a nice thing to have it's a question of survival and as we move along into a more complex world it's really relevant that we that we preserve the notion of curiosity and have conversations with many other things and listen to many podcasts and 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 move away from our uh, somehow our our area of speciality as well so we can absorb new ideas and and, and transform our thinking to, to innovate the way we do things. So, yeah, my, my advice is always explore other things and, and be a polymath is, is the terminology that we use. Polymath in a sense of, you know, be interested in many, many aspects of life. And one of the things that we talked about at a very high level was change failing and this stat that says 70% of change fails. Do you think that in what you're seeing, change is improving and and uh, this stat to me has kind of come out of nowhere, but I hear that you, 
there is some there's some data that you've seen that actually backs that up as well can you talk to us about that Yes, so so the, the notion of uh, the seventy percent, this this magic number, came from uh, originally from the uh, Gartner studies. So this they uh, you know this goes back to the nineteen nine beginning of nineteen nineties. So they did some studies and they arrived to the conclusion that seventy percent of at the time technology uh, implementations uh, did not achieve did not achieve the benefits that were described in the business case, um, and and they. Uh, they attribute that to not the solution, the technology. Yeah, the 30% that fail are actually, the, the technology is not great or that doesn't fit the organization, but the 70% are related with an, an inability to properly engage teams and, and do change management as a practice. This was studies done in the 1990s. What happened was about five years ago, McKinsey did exactly the same studies and they arrived exactly to the same conclusion, the 70%. Now, is, is because we don't understand anything about change management, not really. We, we understand more about change management these days. Our, our capability progressed and our thinking and evolution and tools and all these things are, are much better uh, applied. And organizations in itself, they are, they are now investing more, far more in these, these dimensions. But the problem is that the complexity of change increases as well. <laughs> so... These days, you don't talk about a pure technology implementation. It doesn't even make sense anymore. You are transforming ecosystems and you are transforming end-to-end -end processes and, and functions and organizations in, 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 uh, uh, as a whole. So, you know, the complexity evolved as well. And that's why the data didn't move much, if that makes sense. So that's the reason why this 70% still uh, is still kind of, the, kind of the, the, the number that everybody talks about. And they, are, they have a substance based on, on, on fresh and kind of recent research. And do you think that this diagnosing the five different types of change might help reduce that number? Absolutely. I think it's one of the critical, that's my point of view, <laughs> probably I'm a bit biased as a kind of the author of this concept, but uh, it's my strong belief that that's a fundamental component around ha having the whole transformation right you know is, is this ability to understand exactly what you are dealing what what are the stages that you are going to follow in, into the process and what are what are the right skills and capabilities and, and really when you talk about the approach to change it's not just how is the change team is going to intervene intervene in, in the program is what is the degree of sponsorship that you require what is the involvement that you have from the executive team in this, these places and again, if it's a very simple technology implementation, don't even bother them. They don't want to be bothered. But if you're talking about a cultural transformation, nobody do that without having a deep alignment from leadership and, and deep involvement. So this, this idea of sponsorship, and I, I sit in a steering committee, just received the, the, the kind of what you call the reg, right? The red, amber, and green type of reports. If you are talking about a deep cultural and complex transformation, that doesn't work anymore. So the degree of involvement of, uh, of leadership needs to be quite, quite high to enable to drive the whole agenda. So depending on the approach, you, the intervention in your organization is quite different. And that's kind of the point, right? So uh, you, you are prepared to, intervie to interfere and, and push the, the degree of success towards uh, to higher levels than, than if we just approach the kind of the change has, well, I'm, I'm kind, kind of doing exactly what I've done in my past organization. And I do, a, I apply all the tools because as long as I have all the tick in the boxes, I'll be fine. That's not necessarily the case. 
uh, we need to be very proactive on the way we approach the change. And for those that want to read more about this concept, Katia, I know you've mentioned that there are some articles that you've written. Is there a, a place that they can go to? I can attach some links to, to the show notes as well. Yeah, so um, suggestion, you know, this conversation is pushing me to the, to the edge. I have a busy life, but, uh, you know, I've done, I've, I've done a few presentations about this topic in the past uh, in, in a few forums. Uh, I, you know, I, I will write this book and, and get it out there so everybody can uh, can enjoy and read. You said it. You said it. You'll now be held accountable. <laughs> um, and look, I, I'd love to, to touch on, I know we're slightly pushed for time because you are incredibly busy, but the work that you've done in social change has been massive and so many people will know of the Social Good Summit, so it would be remiss for me not to ask about your work there and what, what you're seeing and what you're doing, what, the, what you've been doing this year in that space. Yeah, so I guess that, uh, you know, changing the world is a, probably the, the ultimate, mo- the most complex level of approach and and really uh, definitely follows in that most complex category and around kind of creation of innovation and, and, and thinking and so on. So I've been thinking a lot, a long, uh, in for many years. What can I do to make the world a better place? What what's kind of the role that that I can play there? And this concept of the social good summit is 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 little is a is a drop in the ocean. But the the attempt is to inspire people to take action. So in a way, connecting to this fifth approach, you don't control anything, but you you create an environment that inspire people, and with the hope that that will create somehow a ripple effect in the ocean that, that create waves that expand and go beyond your intervention because you don't control that anymore. But by inspiring people, other things will emerge and, and, and continue. So the, the, the concept of a social good summit so is an annual uh, conference where we bring, it's kind of a TED Talks for social goods, and we bring people that have done something with their lives uh, and they truly devote with their professions, with their organizations, with their non-for-profits, with their community intervention, with, with whatever they can, with their networks. And that's exactly what you are looking for, is this moment in time where you, you made a decision, I'm going to do something with what I can to make the world a better place. So we showcase all these uh, great stories. Is a day where people just truly uh, you know, get, get out energized and inspired and, and start reflecting what can I do also to make the world a better place. So every year we, we unite a group between 500 and 700. This year is going to be the fifth year. So, you know, hopefully we, we have engaged and inspire, I would say about 5,000 people because we also uh, offer an online version of that. So we know that more people end up uh, dialing into the, to the summit. Similar to a TED talk, the talks then are shared uh, on the internet so everybody can can see those talks and, and, and listen to those stories so the whole idea is to inspire people and I know by fact because people tend to uh, contact us back again and said I went to the social good summit and I was so inspired and I decided to uh, you know set up this organization or uh, I use my company to uh, help Aboriginal people Indigenous people to uh, to acquire leadership skills, for instance, or, uh, you know, I decided to create the Holt project in Australia, which is quite famous uh, and inspires students out there to to come up with social good initiatives and projects. So it's a ripple effect of elements that, that, uh, you know, um, that we build. And that's our way to create social change in this complex world that so much need our help. 
It's incredible. And some of the, the success stories that I, I had of someone creating lights from tin cans that were able to, to light shanty towns in India from, from the Good Summit. So there's some um, incredible stories. You're very modest. Yeah, that's, that's pollinate energy. It becomes it became actually a business on, on how uh, to help uh, uh, people in, in Indian slums to, uh, to avoid the use of kerosene, which is a terrible um, you know, element that, that creates a lot of health problems. So they have basically uh, solar, solar lights and they can, kids, they can study at night and completely simple ideas that can transform a whole life. And for those people wanting to hit, to to look into this or you know potentially sign up, is there a website that they can go to? Absolutely, uh, www.socialgoodsummits.com.au, and we will be going face to face this year. We had to skip last year due, due to COVID, but this year uh, we'll we'll have another uh, social good summit on the 18th of September at NIDA in Sydney. So if you want to get truly inspired to make the world a better place, come along. Gives me goosebumps. It's very, very compelling going from being an expert in organizational change and, and actually utilizing that and leveraging it into social change is incredible, Katia. Like the work that you do is extensive and to be to be driving this is just we need more incredible people like you. <laughs> Really, it's very moving. So thank you. Um, for those that are, are looking to connect with you and, you know, learn more, speak more about the five different types of change, I connected with you on LinkedIn. Is that the best forum? Yeah, yeah. The LinkedIn is kind of almost like an email box these days, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I've actually deleted my other social networking. I'm, it, it's just so useful because it's actually not vacuous. There's all this information there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, connect, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to uh, hear your thoughts and ideas. And uh, yeah, no, no matter where you come from, it's always good to know. Great. And is there anything that we haven't covered today that you would like to add for listeners? Yeah, so just joining these these two dots because I think that you know I think it's re- very important that uh, you know we use our 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 full potential you know to the service of the world. The world needs so much our our help, and you know I'm sure that people that are listening, you all have structures and capabilities and and uh, and, and an enormous amount of power and potential to actually devote also uh, or make something good for the world so yeah if you could use to the extent of your potential would be great <laughs> that's my message what a place to leave it thank you ever so much Katia I know that there are so many people that are very excited to listen to this one and you definitely don't disappoint it's yeah very very inspiring but also very moving thank you Eloise thank you so much for listening this week's episode of Change It by myself, Eloise Seidlin. If you haven't already, then please rate, review and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. I really, really appreciate it.